You're listening to Hope for Today Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining in this virtual space. We believe that as you listen, Jesus will minister to you right where you are. So open up your mind and your heart to what the Word would say to you today. Thank you for joining us. And remember, Jesus is our hope for today. Okay, (laughs) so you can hear me. This is wonderful. I'm going to invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 21. Uh, We're going to get right into it this afternoon. Today is Vision Sunday. Uh, And it's an exciting time because, you know, in the young life of our church, everything's new for us. There's a lot of different uh, gatherings that we've been having. And this is our first Vision Sunday uh, where we want to catch the vision for this assembly and uh, what are the values and the vision and mission of hope for today. And the good news is it's all founded in the word of God, first and foremost. And so... Um, before we go to uh, Revelations, I quickly want to make note of a, a verse in the Bible that is the go-to. You go to any keynote or a public address at a conference about vision and mission. This is the verse that's usually used. Proverbs 29, verse 18, without revelation, some say without prophetic vision, people run wild or they cast off restraint. But the one who follows divine instruction will be happy. Other translations say will be blessed. And so whatever you're reading from this afternoon, I'm reading from the CSB, which says without revelation, people run wild. But one who follows divine instruction will be happy. Do you agree with this? As you follow divine instruction, what I appreciate about the CSB is it looks at the original language of the Greek and sees how the, it's not just any revelation, it's not just any old vision, but rather the vision, the revelation, that is the wisdom and knowledge from God in his written word to us, his divine instruction that we can glean from, and as we follow it, we will be happy. Now, some translations, it says prophetic. And to be prophetic is to declare boldly the goodwill and plan of God for our lives. So it makes sense why some translations would say where there is no prophetic revelation or no prophetic vision that people cast off restraint and run wild. And so again, the CSB, without revelation, people run wild. And before we get into Revelation 21... I need to park here for a moment and express that a lot of times you'll hear this passage of scripture about a ministry plan and having a strong vision and a strong mission and leaders take, take hold of this and, and run with this. And all those things are true. When you look through the chapter, you see this pitting of, of following divine instruction of the wise and those who are foolish. And so I encourage you to read the whole chapter. But the main emphasis here is not about catching a a ministry plan or a vision, but most importantly, gleaning from the divine instruction from God's word. A vision is defined as this, to see clearly, whether it's in a dream or a, a mental image of a desired future. Maybe you work for a company and you know what your vision statement is, the desired future of that company. When we look to the word of the Lord, we can see many different places, whether it's from the lips of Jesus, from the apostles and prophets, they declare boldly the plan and purpose of the Lord God for us. The future state, the future state. So I want to keep that in the back of your mind, the desired future state. It's the place that we're working towards. I see here on the back of the room, there's this vivid image. Do this in remembrance of me. It's a canvas. And this canvas is showing a beautiful imagery of all that we have in Jesus. In a similar fashion, as we look to the word, as we look to Revelation 1, it's my hope this afternoon that we will get fired up. When we look at this desired future state of what we're working towards through our faith in Jesus Christ, that it will fuel us in the here and the now. Do you want to get fired up? (laughs) Amen. So let's go to Revelations uh, chapter 21. 
Revelations chapter 21. And so here, John, the beloved disciple of Jesus Christ, is receiving this vision from the Lord. And he's writing these words. And keep in mind, John is doing his very best to articulate what he's hearing and seeing. And he writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he and God himself will be with them, and they will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. He also said, Write, because these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. And the one who conquers will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. You gotta love that imagery of that spring, the water that flows from he who is the Alpha and the Omega. In verse 8, but the cowards, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then when the seven angels who had held the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And so just make sure you grab a hold of this beautiful image. He says here, He then carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Arrayed with God's glory, her radiance was like a precious jewel, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And the city had a massive high wall with 12 gates. 12 angels were at the gates. The names of the 12 tribes of Israel's sons were inscribed on the gates. And there were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, and three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. The city wall had 12 foundations, and the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb were on the foundations." The one who spoke with me had a golden measuring rod to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out in a square, and its length and width are the same. He measured the city with the rod at 12,000 stadia. Its length, its width, and heights are equal. Then he measured its walls, 144 cubits, according to human measurement, which the angel used. And the building material of its walls was jasper, and the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the city wall were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first foundation is jasper, the second, sapphire, the third, chalidonian, the fourth, emerald, the fifth, sardix, the sixth, carnelian, the seventh, chrysolite, the eighth, beryl, the ninth, topaz, the tenth, chirophaz, Chirophrase, the eleventh jasnith, the twelfth armth, the twelfth gates are twelve pearls. Each individual gate was made of a single pearl. The main street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. Ever heard of any words like this before? <laughs> John goes on to write, I did not see a temple in it because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never close by day because it will never be night there. 
And they will bring the glory and the honor of nations into it. Nothing unclean will ever enter into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. That last statement, only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. What a wonderful image depicting this future state, the coming of the new heaven and new earth, the kingdom of God, finally in culmination and totality for all who look to the Son, who believe in Jesus Christ to enjoy, to partake of that stream, that river that flows, basking in the radiance of his light, unlike any other. There's no longer night, only day. And as I was reading through this, I couldn't help but think, my goodness, what an incredible scene this will be. And I can appreciate how difficult it must have been, as wonderful as it was, for John to depict what he was seeing. He used things like jewels and sapphire, things that we don't typically talk about here today. But if we were to try and use descriptive words, maybe we would say it looked like a bunch of neon lights or strobes. And I don't know what we would use to describe it. I'm glad I'm not in his shoes. But he's showing us this wonderful picture for those who are in the Lord, who have believed on the Lamb. But we see in verse 8 very clearly, it shows us this list to clearly depict those who are of the Lord, who believed upon his name and and or sorry, those who did not believe upon his name and rebelled against who he is. And he, and he lists off who these people are. And sometimes we look at this part of the scripture and say, well, I can be in Christ, I can believe in him, but if I slip up, if I lie today, or if I became sexually immoral, well, we know that we're covered by grace because the very moment that we can refuse that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, this is the group that he's referring to. But when we slip, we don't miss out on this wonderful future State. And so then John goes on and describes this incredible imagery of what we have, like the psalm we're singing today, of what a friend we have in Jesus, that we are the pure, spotless bride, that we're dressed in fine linen, pure, and radiating with his glory. What an image. Can you wrap your heads around this? I'm, I'm like you. I'm trying to fully grasp and appreciate what this vision, what this sight is going to be like one day. We're told in Revelation 19.7, John also writes this, Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saint. And so what do we do in the here and the now as we wait for this great and glorious day? How do we live our lives? What are we putting our hands to? What are we working towards? And what jumped out at me and emphasized in verse 27 here is that if your name is in the Lamb's book of life, there's no striving and sweating whether you will be able to walk into the city. And so we should here now be able and fueled to live each day to the most. Sometimes when we don't completely appreciate this, we spend time at the altars, if you will, being resaved. You know, Sunday after Sunday. Did you ever go through that motion? <laughs> there was a time when I was a youth, I would think, oh, I, I got to go up to the front and, you know, get saved all over again. But we're told in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 27, that only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will enter the city. You know, here's a picture. John is seeing, the beloved disciple is seeing this promise of God being unfolded in front of him, seeing the vision of what this looks like. From the very dawn of time, we see in the Old Testament where God declared, you have fallen, you've misstepped, and I'm paraphrasing, but I will be your God and you will be my people and I will save you. I will rescue you from the miry clay. 
from the pit of destruction. What happened in the Garden of Eden, and we can't look at the, the great mission we have today without fully appreciating what he has brought us out of. So here we have this vision of the coming kingdom, a massive change from what happened in the Garden of Eden. How often do you look back to the garden and see the fracture of God's vision that occurred? He had this plan that, that humanity would operate in a peaceful relationship with him and have dominion over everything that he created. And he said, he said that everything he created was good. And yet we know the story. We know Lucifer entered the scene. Sin entered the world. But before that, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. This incredible authority, this credible dominion that with all intents and purposes was lost because of the rebellion. But we know as we sit here today that that wasn't the end of the story. Jesus came, he died, he gave his life, he overcame sin and the grave and in doing so became the first fruit of the resurrection that we, because we believe in him, will also enjoy. But there's this thing called sanctification. The sanctifying work, we're becoming more and more like Christ. That vision that was fractured, we're now becoming whole. We're becoming renewed to live that victorious life walking as he walked. And as we go back to Proverbs, it says, without divine revelation, the people run wild. They cast off restraint. But those who follow divine instruction will be happy. When you read the word of the Lord, when you, when you read through the scriptures and you, you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you as you read, are you happy? Are you filled with joy as you read the word? I don't know about you, but when there's things that are going on in my life, and I appreciate Brad's prayer today, when I'm going through things, it's amazing that when you open the word of God and you just look and see his great plan and purpose for our lives and how he's working all things together, what the enemy intended for evil, he's working it together for our good. We can appreciate that as we, we hone in, as we meditate, as we chew on his written word, this divine instruction will be happy. And yet we see this image, this glorious image, this marvelous radiating image of a future state that not everyone is going to enjoy. And that's, that's the peace. That's where we want to land here today. That's the peace that should gird us for action because unlike what is popular in today's culture, that all roads, they say all roads lead to Rome. They say all roads lead to God. And we know if we believe the word of God is true, the very words of Jesus Christ, we know that's not true. Only those whose names are found in the Lamb's book of life. And so the divine instruction as we look to the word shows us two states, those who are saved and those who will perish. Saved and perish. And so today as we look to our, the mission of the church, we don't have to look much further than the mission that Jesus Christ himself accomplished. John 3.16, and we have the other part of the verse right on our banner. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believeth in him would not perish, but have eternal life. It doesn't say whoever believes in him would start an incredible non-for-profit and people would be just coming from all sorts of places and their bellies full and... You can see the picture. He's saying, no, no. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. That they would be saved from their sin. They would be saved from their rebellion. And make no mistake, he says in, in verse 17, Jesus says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Think about for a moment what that means. God does not desire to sentence his beloved creation to death. He doesn't want them to endure the second death where the Bible says they'll be cast into the abyss of burning sulfur, a place reserved for the fallen angels and the, and the beast and the antichrist and Lucifer the devil. He doesn't long, he doesn't desire that for any of his creation, but there is a time. There is a time. 
And we think about the fact that you're sitting here today. You're able to say, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he came, he died, and he rose again. And just as the life-giving spirit gave life to his body and he rose again, so shall we. Amen? Is that your story? That's my story. And so as we look at this divine instruction, we're not living in a place of despair. We're not living as those without hope. But we're seeing, most importantly, that there is a time frame, there's a shelf life, if you will, a time in which Jesus will return. And don't you want to see your friends, your family, those who don't know him, along with you for the ride? To be caught up in the air, to be brought into the hope of glory, into the kingdom of the marvelous light of our Lord. This is something like you, I need to be more passionate about. More passionate about. How many of your hearts cry for the lost? I had a friend tell me recently, he said, Angie, you know those prayers you had when you were young and you wondered about your friends who had walked away from the Lord. It was very timely. It was only a matter of a few weeks ago. He said that the prayer, those words that you spoke to the Lord, that wonder even reasoning with him in a way, that they're going to return to the Lord in the coming days. And I was like, oh, like praise God. I want that so badly because... I can't imagine, of course, you're in the presence of Jesus and it's incredible. Like there's no despair, right? There's, there's no more crying. But you want to spend eternity with your friends, your family. And Jesus said in John 15, as we look at, look at the rest of our slides here this afternoon, Jesus said here in John 15, he says, I no longer, call you, no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. I call you friends, for I've made everything known to you. I've made everything known to you. He says in verse 16 of John 15, you didn't chose me, but I chose you and I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that the fruit should remain so that whatever you ask in my father's name, he will give you. And this is what I command you, love one another. If the world hates you, understand it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember, the word I spoke to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they will do all these things on account of my name because they don't know the one who sent me. And I appreciate the Apostle Paul who says, how will they know unless someone preaches to them? How will they know unless someone goes? The Bible says, blessed are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. And thank God it's only a select few. Because as we look to the mission statement of the church from Jesus Christ himself, he says, now go into the world and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, some will park here and say, that part of Scripture is addressed to the followers of Christ. And if you land there, guess what? That ended with them when they died. But if we can take that part of Scripture just like anywhere else in the divine Word of God and say what was said to Timothy can apply to my own life, so also is so with Jesus' great commission to his followers. Now go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And not just that, not just being baptized with power to witness, but teach them to, to observe everything that I've commanded you. The stuff that's easy to follow and even the yoke that is not as easy. He says, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There is a degree of burden and that is to have a heart for the lost, to come and bring the gospel to those who do not have it. And so Claudia, throw that back up again. Jesus gives us the vision statement. 
says again, go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is the mission of the church. You know, some church statements will say, well, maybe, the, maybe your name is limitless. And we, they'll say, well, we believe in the, the limit, limitless, awesome power of God, which is true. Amen? It's true. He can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask, imagine, or think. But Jesus' mission is very specific. Go and make followers of me. Just as the Apostle Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We're to imitate Jesus. We are to, to gird ourselves according to the divine instruction and follow it in all the days of our life. And there's a promise here. Back to Proverbs. It says that when you follow this divine instruction, what's going to happen? You're going to be happy. You're going to be filled with joy. You're going to overflow with joy. Because you're walking in a place of obedience and faithfulness. I asked my dad one time, I said, Dad, is it always easy to talk to people and share your faith? And I wish I could remember verbatim what he said to me, but in paraphrasing, he said, well, of course, it's never easy. It's never easy, but it's what we must do. And we need to lean into the Holy Spirit as he empowers us to share the gospel. And as I've, you know, stepped in the place of leadership with this church assembly, it's definitely not getting any easier. <laughs> but there is a joy. When you follow the divine instruction, even people say, you know what, Pastor Andrew, I, I appreciate the heart for the word and looking to the word, but I just don't land there. And, you know, I really, I really agree with what maybe Stephen Furtick says or what Joyce Meyer says or what T.D. Jake says. And I'm just throwing out random names. I'm not saying I'm pitted one against the other. I'm just saying for me, my counsel has to be the word of the Lord. And we're told in Hebrews, it says that at a time, God spoke his word of Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 2. He spoke to the apostles and prophets. Sorry, through the uh, prophets. But in the last days, he spoke through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ made it very clearly of who we're to follow. We're to follow the word of the Lord. He, one of the Pharisees came to him one day and says, what's the greatest commandment? And you know what he said? Love the Lord your God. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. In that, you're fulfilling the law. What's the vision? What's the vision for the church? What's the vision for hope for today? It falls in line with the Great Commission in Matthew 28. But very clearly, I'm going to ask uh, Claudia to throw up our vision statement on the screen. This is our desired future, where we're headed according to the gospel. It says, hope for a day. I don't know if you can read that. When I was creating these slides, I wasn't thinking, oh no, we have small TVs in here. Okay, but if you're watching online, you got the greatest seat in the house, okay? But there's something special about being here, okay? It says, hope for a day is committed to proclaiming the gospel, fostering a passionate and relational church family, establishing people in the truth of the gospel, and instilling hope in our community, hope in Jesus hope for the future. And just leave that up, okay? This is our desired future state. You can see how it falls in line with the Great Commission. The mark of maturity, of spiritual maturity, is girding ourselves according to the divine instruction of the word that says there's no greater love than one who lays down his life for his friends. Our neighbors, the ones we love in our community, we're doing them a disservice. We're not loving them if we're not speaking the truth. And so this vision, it girds us. It's, you know, we'd look at this and we'd say, well, we're not fully there. We're on our way. What I deeply appreciate about this assembly is people feel welcome. That it's relational. People are getting on the phone, inviting each other to go for coffee, having meals together, going to connect groups, having Bible studies, growing in the word, growing in the gospel, and instilling hope in others in the community. Knocking on doors, saying, is there anything I can help you with? This is happening. It's happening in our assembly. It's happening. But as we look to the desired future state of, the, of where we're headed, it's important that we have the map of what we're doing in the here and the now to fulfill vision. And so our mission is clear. Let's throw the mission there, Claudia. It says this, our focus is to share the transformative hope of the gospel. 
and to help people thrive in the relationship with Jesus through intentional discipleship and passionate outreach. And as that's up on the screen, think of how that correlates with what Jesus said. Go into the world and make disciples and teaching them everything that I have taught you. You can see how this mission statement encompasses what Jesus has called us to. Now you might be thinking, well, this, this, this might be a little much for me to remember. So at the end of the day, we have a brand statement that will help us to remember how we are going forward each day with this mission. It's this, hope in Jesus, hope for the future. If you could just throw up the brand statement, Claudia. It says, hope in Jesus, hope for the future. You know, when I go into the community and whether it's at Tim Hortons or you're walking down the street or you're in the mall and you're talking to someone, people share their stories. They share the celebrations in their life, but they also share their heartaches, maybe turmoils and things they're going through and how much I can appreciate like the song again we sang today. What a friend, what a hope we have in Jesus. We can remember our hope is in Jesus and no one else. Our hope is in Jesus and then no one else. When Jesus gave the commission to the church, he said, as he said, go, he says, I'm with you to the end of the age. That reminds us that we're not alone in this mission. We're not alone in this vision, but he's empowering us by his Holy Spirit to go boldly into our communities, into our workplaces. And so just a moment, Claudia is going to throw up our, some key values, the underpinnings of hope for today, the very pieces that make up the framework of the vision. And the first word on the value is empowerment. Empowerment. If you're, if you're here today, you're probably saying, well, amen, I can resonate with that. Empowerment. I know it's very tiny to see, but it says, we endeavor to be prayerfully spirit-led to proclaim and practice the gospel. So it's not any kind of empowerment, but very specifically be, being empowered by the Holy Spirit himself to be witnesses in our world. Jesus said this in Acts 1.8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And again, if you believe that power was only for the early followers of Christ, we're in big trouble because we are powerless. We're just going through the motions, a big song and dance. But if this is true, and this empowerment is for all who profess faith in Jesus Christ, that we can go into our world and truly be his empowered witnesses. Bringing, saying, Jesus, he's not only my hope for today, he's also your hope for today as well. We looked a few weeks ago, 1 John chapter 2, verse 27 says, As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. You don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. Just as it has taught you, remain in him. And so as we lean into this empowerment, as we lean into the mission, knowing that he's with us and he's for us and he's empowering us, we desire that all people encounter a relationship with Jesus. That personal relationship. There is something, isn't there, about a personal relationship. It's not a religious thing. It's not going through the motions. It is real, intangible. Encounter. The second key value is encounter. It says that we are passionate to lead people towards a hope-filled relationship with Jesus. It's not in just focusing on signs and wonders, although that is a byproduct. Hear me, it's a byproduct of our faith in Jesus. But our, our, our focus is that people's names would be found in the Lamb's Book of Life, and so they need to encounter Jesus Christ. They need to confess him as Lord and Savior for themselves. And so we desire to be there right along beside them, to lead them to a hope-filled relationship with Jesus. I'm just going to allow Brad just to play in the background. Worship team, you can just go ahead and take a seat for a few minutes. We're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, it says this, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. 
Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This letter was written by Paul to the believers in Corinth. And yet, can we not apply this to our own life? As ministers of the gospel, those who believe in Jesus, who've been empowered by the Holy Spirit, pleading, being bold, saying, be reconciled to God. Maybe you have a friend or somebody you've come in contact with and maybe their relationships have soured. Maybe they're just going through a lot and they've been looking in all these different kinds of ways. Maybe they've been looking, as Proverbs talked about, heeding foolish instruction. But you can come along and say, you know, in, in Jesus, he's for you. And as you, you look to his word, it says that in you will flow rivers of living water, similar to Revelation 21. Would you give him a chance? to see and, and taste that the Lord is good. And I'm just throwing out, you know, random, random conversations and starting points, but it's all about the genuineness of our heart to desire to lead people to a genuine encounter with God. Now you might be sitting here and you'd be right. Well, I thought that's the agency of the Holy Spirit. And it is. The Holy Spirit works and guides and, and convicts and leads people to repentance. But we're also, again, we're shown in Acts 1.8 that we've received power to be his witnesses. There's this harmonious engagement of partnership as sons and daughters of the king, of his kingdom. He's working in us. He's working through us. And I love how Paul tells young Timothy in chapter 4.11, don't let anyone despise you. Don't let them despise you for your youth, but set an example for other believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. If you can allow your life to be molded by divine instruction, it says the promise is that you will be happy. People out there are looking for happiness. They're going all different places. You know, with the, the turmoil in today's world on many different fronts, even now, here in the now, in our sphere of the world, with the economy and the pressures of inflation, all these different sorts, many are depressed. It's, it's a burden upon them. And you can come along and say, I understand how, how heavy this is and difficult this can be. But all this is temporary. I want to tell you about the hope that I have that goes beyond the temporary. The hope that I have in Jesus, this encounter because of this faith that I have in him. Where, wherever you land on this, these are just verses that help guide these values that we believe that we're empowered to witness, to lead people uh, to, in an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ, to encounter the transformative hope that comes through him. And just for sake of time, other values are being equipped. We desire to see this church equip those who call hope home through intentional discipleship and discovery of spiritual gifts. And this is important because each one of us have a part to play in the assembly. There's pastors, right? Teachers, prophets, apostles. We have those who work in areas of administration and, and gifts of service. These are things that we're going to look at as a church assembly. But this is an important piece that we believe that we're all equally equipped to serve in the church. Not just a few, but all of us. And you know what I appreciate about this family that has developed? Is that everyone is plugging in, in one way or another. And all of those roles, all the parts that are being played, the, the spiritual gifts that are being activated, they all are important and matter in God building his kingdom. And he says, you can take this to the bank. Does not the word say that he is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? Equip. And for sake of time, I'm going to jump to the last value. Of course, this is all going to be available on our website. The final one, perhaps maybe the most important that binds them all together is rooted, rooted. 
And so the second slide, root it, says, we desire to be biblically grounded in belief, practice, and expression. We desire to be biblically grounded in belief, practice, and expression. And what's great about this value is it, as it formulates the vision of where we're heading, is it shows us that no matter what we're doing, is it biblically supported? The things that we affirm, is it biblically supported? Would Jesus Christ say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Is it rooted in scripture, in divine instruction, or is it rooted in the world? And I can tell you right now, we could cast off restraint and do all sorts of stuff and people will be flooding through these doors because, and you can imagine, but that's not what we're called to do. Again, he says, go in the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them everything that I have taught you. And I am with you to the end of the age. And so Jesus says, look, it's, it's not gonna be easy. At times it may feel like an uphill battle, but that's the nature of spiritual warfare. We're doing battle against the enemy of our souls. And you know what I appreciate thinking of it this way is that because in faith, we are partnering with the angels of heaven who are duking it out with the spiritual forces of darkness. And as we see the people that we care for and long to be in the kingdom of God, as we pray for them, as we minister to them, we are doing battle. And I love just thinking of the fact that Lucifer is losing his mind because he's trying to win all these battles, but he's lost the war. And at the end of the day, when we see the kingdom come, amen, we know that our name is in the Lamb's book of life and we're not alone. Who are all those people that you've brought with you? Who are those people going to be? And I have to admit, right here in front of you all, there's not enough people's hands that I'm linked to. And that has to change. Paul says this in Ephesians 3, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And just in case Carol and Grant are watching, I'm not forgetting verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all we may ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations. This is the hope to all generations. You have family members, you have children, you want to see them in the Lord and serve in the Lord? There's hope for today because you have been bought and paid for by the blood of Christ and you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he's going to work wonders in your life. He's going to demolish those strongholds as you're faithful in obedience to his divine instruction. And so if you remember <laughs> anything that I've shared here today, that our mission is to share the hope that we have in Jesus. Hope for today and the hope for our future. Hope for today and the hope for the future. Does this resonate with you? That mission, that vision? Amen. Let's pray together. I'm gonna invite you to stand and worship team. You can feel free to come and join Brad. And I wanna thank you all for your grace here this afternoon because this is something new for me to share in something that's been prayed over tremendously and through leadership meetings and conversations and hearing what we believe the Lord is laying on our heart and what are those key values that gird us. It took a lot of time to formulate in ways and description that we can resonate with and get behind. And I feel a lot like John where he's trying to depict what he saw. And still, so the end of the day, I'm tremendously thankful for the grace that you've shown me even here today. And wherever you land and what, whatever area resonates with you the most, I say to you like the Apostle Paul who said, I don't come to you with eloquent and persuasive words 
but with the demonstration of the Lord's power. And that is my desire for our assembly is that when people think of hope for today, sure, it's relational. And they see people that are committed to the Lord and they have hope and there's joy. But at the end of the day, they see a demonstration of the Lord's power that leads to life transformation. Our mission is to share the transformative hope of the gospel and to help people thrive in the relationship with him through intentional discipleship and passionate outreach. And so as the worship team begins to play, keep that in mind. That means, again, we all have a part to play. The Lord's gonna lay on your heart mission fields in our community, purposes, ideas, creative opportunities to reach people. And so your marching orders, if you will, this week is to pray, Holy Spirit, what are those areas that you wanna awaken within me in the life of your church at Hope for Day? What areas do you want me to serve in? Maybe even what areas haven't even been birthed yet, but he's just been waiting for you to be here so they could begin. What are those areas? And as you think about those things, just think the power of a one-to-one ministry. We've talked about this before, that when you go in the community, when you're willing to share your testimony, God's gonna use it He's going to use that seed that's been planted and he's going to make it grow. Don't lose hope. Don't give up. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for your written word, your divine instruction that calls us and leads us to fall after you, follow you. thank you as we look to your word it not only promises that that we would be happy but God that there would be a blessing the baraka to be a blessing to others those who don't know you Lord I thank you for the clear mission that you gave your church to go into the world and to make followers of you sharing and teaching everything that you've taught us through your written word I thank you for this church. I thank you, Lord, for the people that are here and the gifts that you're awakening inside of each one of us. And Lord, as we launch, as we we go out into our community, God, we desire above all else for you to be glorified in our midst, for you to be lifted up. We We look forward to the day when you'll return on the clouds to establish your kingdom fullness. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship them together.
right on now. You deserve all the praise, God. You deserve all the glory, all the honor.